and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Okay, here we go. Kerry Howard, I have been waiting to interview you for a very, very long time. So I'm excited to hear about your life and your career. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It does seem like we've been talking about this forever. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would say, I would say. So let's start off by telling everybody what it is that you do now. Uh, so these days I'm a consulting chief mental health advisor. So working with corporate agencies, talking about how we uh, create environments within the workplace that um, really support psychological safety at work and helping people to understand, you know, post, especially post pandemic, what we need to mm. do about, you know, getting back into the workplace, how the world of work has changed. And uh, that's part of what I've been sort of doing. I've been writing a new book, which launches in February. Uh, so there's lots February of February 2023, sort of just in case yes. anyone is uh, wondering <laughs> on this timing. You are an yes. amazing woman. You've accomplished so much. So do you want to just tell everybody uh, now we're going to go back to when you were a little girl and go right through your career, but you're not yep. just consulting now. You've obviously, you've written a book. Um, what yes. other bits and pieces have you, uh, and you've created software, which is going to be a great story. So don't tell the whole thing, but you've been a software creator as well. Is there anything else that you want to describe yourself as before I go, what got you into all of this? Um, well, you know, I'm a former psychologist. I spent 12 years working in as a trauma specialist and left that because I really wanted to be able to help more people and the the hour after hour kind of model doesn't seem to work for that. So um, going into more of a coaching model of care and also how we utilize technology. You mentioned the technology development. Um, I'm a big believer in embracing technology to help, you know, help us master our mental health over time and, and not, you know, it's really about empowering the individual to help themselves rather than making them reliant on somebody else kind of giving them, um, you know, a, a, a main support, not to say that that support isn't, isn't helpful. It, of course it is at certain points in our lives, but I'm a big believer that we need to normalize the human condition and, and our experiences and understand that, you know, our mental health is as much a part of us as our physical health. And it goes up and down over our life course. And we just need to understand that and recognize when it's not going so great and what we can do about it to, to help ourselves feel better. Oh, God, I love that. And, of course, part of the reason why it's so important people are able to help themselves, there's no bloody psychologists around anymore. No, as, no, as you, I think you said in one of the She's the Boss lunches that what's the number now in Australia? Less than 2,500 psychologists in private practice in that, Australia. So that's for over that 25 is, million people. You don't need to I be know, a mathematician to run those numbers, right? And so, you know, and this was part of the problem that happened with the pandemic. You know, the government came out and said, oh, just go and see a psychologist twice as often. It's kind of like, um, I don't know about you, but where are they? There aren't any left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's a big problem. It is a massive problem, especially as, you know, so many people have been affected with their mental health. Now, um, we're going to go into your career in a minute, but was there um, 
Actually, I don't think, I don't know whether this is relevant. I normally would ask, is there a light bulb moment? But I guess you've been doing this as a career for a long time. The only other thing that I just want to let everyone know about is your book about dating. Just to throw uh, something in, you know, <laughs> that great book that you wrote about men as shoes. This one, this one you know, which I know, you know, well, nobody can well, what's see. What's it called I'm, again? Uh, just tell everyone. Why Men Are Like Shoes. So Why Men Are Like Shoes <laughs> is a woman's guide to finding the perfect guy. Um, you know, yeah. shoes has been crossed out. And, you know, I laugh because this this goes back to, you know, when I was dating. And, and hey, you know, I could arguably be in that scene again right now. But um, <laughs> Checking out it, men's I shoes. Just, yeah, well, no, I say to people it's important to recognise that, you know, in order to find the perfect partner, or in this case, women understand shoes, right? So in order to find yep. a perfect sort of partner that suits your life, you have to understand what your wardrobe requires. And it's an important <laughs> thing to kind of go, well, what sort of woman am I and what sort of shoes do I need? And then go out and find the pair that actually is the most suited to, you know, your whole wardrobe, but also recognising that some women just need multiple pairs of shoes. It's not hard, right? <laughs> no, and I think most women need multiple pairs of shoes. But well, when you I use the that's... analogy of, yeah, I just loved it. And you've got things like the Blundstone kind of a guy and the, oh, you know, that's and the, the one and the, that stuck um, in my mind. Yeah, the, the stiletto. What was your favourite? Kind of, you know, well, it's kind of interesting because you know what's happened is since I've written this book, I have I have multiple people, you know, when I am dating and then they know that I write this book, then they try and find themselves in it. And it always makes <laughs> me laugh because they think that there's something completely different to what I think they are. And, you know, I've had other women who've said to me, oh, you know, but um, – you have men's and women's shoes in there. And I'm kind of like, yes, because we have things like, you know, the stiletto, which I'm showing you, but I, I laugh because it's like this man presents himself with a sense of style. He's flashy, effusive, and makes you feel like you're the only woman in the room. But beware, ladies, there are many women in the room and he has an eye for all of them. And, you know, that's the sort of fun <laughs> stuff. And then I yeah. say, I think ideally if I was looking for my ideal pair of shoes that could go with everything, I'd be going after the Italian leather boot because it's right kind at. of like they're a classic, they, you know, they last for a lifetime, um, you know, you can dress them up or dress them down. Uh, they're I well think made. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think it's a, it, it's a good thing to kind of understand. But I laugh because every every kind of person, guy I talked about in the book was the type of person <laughs> who I dated at one point or another, right? The motorcycle yeah, yeah. boot, the thong, the Ugg boot, the Crocs, like, you know, and it's amazing. It's really, it is, a, it's a fun book. That's the sort of book that you that buy with really for Christmas, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, or before you go on a plane if you're going to have a bit of a giggle. Um, yep. Okay, now let's get a little bit more serious because I don't sure. know very much about you. So um, where did you grow up and what sort of family did you have, brothers and sisters, and what did mum and dad do? So I am the youngest of five children and I was born in Melbourne. Are um, you? Gosh, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Five. And um, my dad left when I was 15 months old. And so mum mum was a, a sole parent and you know there's an interesting story I wrote, so you, I wrote the a youngest? little bit about it. Yeah, I'm the youngest. And right. uh as a result I learned how to entertain really well because um there was a you know, I'm I'm actually the direct product of the Pope, believe it or not. My my mother, good Catholic that she was, uh 
had gone on the pill after four children in the mid-60s. And uh, and then in 1968 in Vatican II, the Pope came out and said, no, good Catholic girls on the pill. And then mum went off it and had me. And so there was four kids in five <laughs> years and then a four-year gap and then me. And then oh, right. well, I came along, yeah, I came along and then my dad leaves. Um, and so interestingly, and this is part of where I understand and I think where my focus on, you know, trying to understand our own mental trauma. health and our own trauma exactly um, comes from because I worked out about the time that I was seven that uh, my mum and dad had a perfect life in existence for, you know, the the four years before I came along and then I came along and dad left, which means I must have been a horrible baby. Um, oh, and no. that's a fascinating kind of background. I, I write about this in my first book. Um, in in Define Your Inner Diva, I talk a bit about my my background and, and growing up. And, you know, yeah. I carried that with me for years and years until much later when I went into an extensive period of therapy and um, was able to resolve a lot of that understanding. Um, and then, you know, isn't in my that, last Isn't that book, funny, though? It, it's funny that... Well, not for, I mean, funny and tragic, but it, it is weird then is probably a better way. The way that we hold on to these things and you would have been an adult by then, I assume. And you would know that really children being born doesn't end marriages. There's a lot more to it than that, but you still held on to it. Yeah, but that's actually the thing that I think we need to understand about traumatic memory. And that's yeah. one of the things I try and educate people about now is because our traumatic memory from childhood actually gets set. It's like I say to people when you're a child, right. it's like you make jelly and your traumatic experiences get set and stuck in that jelly. In and the even jelly. though as a yeah, and as a rational adult, you can kind of recognize that it's an irrational thought, but there is still a part of you that 100% firmly believes that that's your responsibility. And it's interesting because I was about to say in my last book, In the Trouble with Trauma, I actually talk about the fact that I recognise that my sense of feeling, you know, having a propensity towards feeling rejected quite easily is, um, and even though I've done a lot of therapy and, you know, we've I've kind of got over this bit in some ways if that's the way we want to talk about it or I've resolved it in my own mind. Um, a lot of that stuff I talk about in The Trouble with Trauma is about what gets encoded into our DNA. And quite literally, right. you know, what was encoded in my DNA was a sense of being not wanted because my mother actually fell pregnant when she didn't want to be pregnant. And, um, you know, quite interesting, right. you know, and she said to me, because, you know, mothers, my mother, your mother, you know, they're of a different era. And I kind of, of sent through to her the information that I'd written in the book because I didn't want her to be upset about what I'd written. I'm like, this is my journey, right? And when I yeah. said to her, I sent her the bit about, you know, feeling that from in, being in utero from the time I was conceived about not being wanted and the impact that that has for me, her answer to me was, but I don't get why it's such a big deal for you. I didn't want any of you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I love your mom. In her mind, that's hilarious. In her mind, that's just in the sixties. That's just you just got married, you had children. What? There was no choice had about no it. Control it wasn't over like it. they made a con yeah. no, and there wasn't like they made a conscious decision. It just was what it was. So I think that that's yeah. a big part of where you know what we understand now, and I think it's it's good to recognise the impact that these sorts of things do have on yeah, our totally. sense of who we are. Right. 
Um, you know, it's yeah. not mum's fault. I don't blame her for that. But it's an interesting kind of flip side because I'm very clear about why some of, you know, the attachment challenges that I've had even in my own life, why, why yeah. they're there. Yeah. So what did your mum do? I mean, what, what do you do when you're a single mum of four kids in the 60s? Now, Did this is work? one of the things, yeah, but this is one of the things <laughs> where I say to people, right, I, I'm a very, um, a very left wing kind of ideals because of the experiences of my life, even though at this point yeah. in my life, I probably should have more right wing ones. It's just weird, but you, you may or may not remember, but Gough Whitlam came in in the early 70s and he made massive social reforms. So my mum, when my dad left, we lived for 12 months with nothing. He he used to turn up with a box of groceries every couple of weeks and he was paying her $16 a week, which eight of which had to go onto the mortgage. And she was trying to feed five children and clothe us and do whatever with $8 a week. And after 12 months, some because this was this would have been 1971. Um after yeah. 12 months, right, and Gough Whitlam came in and somebody said to her, you know, you can you're in Entitled to a like a deserted wives pension. What it was in those days was something that was post Second World War, and so yeah. then all of a sudden she was able to get you know what we now know as a, a sole parent benefit, and all of a sudden we went from like sixteen dollars a week to like ninety, and I still remember. Good heavens! <laughs> yeah. It's weird, but even at three, I, I still remember that Christmas. It was like all our Christmases had come Presents at once. Presents everywhere. Was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, interestingly then, you know, Dad sold the house out from under us when I was uh, three. And so. Oh, thank God and, the law has changed and things oh like that. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Now. Well, funnily I mean, enough, my God. Funnily enough, the things that kind of happened, but he sold the house out from, from under us. Mum. Mum uh, had a little bit of pride and so, you know, he, he wanted to sell a house because she'd made it nice trying to get him to come back, right? And uh, and right. then he goes, oh, this is going to be worth more and tries to sell it, but it was still in my grandparents' name. And so my grandfather came and said to my mum, are you sure you're really okay with him selling? She's like, yes, it's fine. I can do my own thing, stop him just walking in and out like he pleases. And uh, But then he reduced the time that she had to get out and didn't bother telling us. And there was a woman standing outside the house one Wednesday and mum's like, can I help you? And she's like, oh, love, you're still here. We're, well, yes, of course. And she's like, no, no, we're moving in on Saturday. And mum had from oh Wednesday God, to Saturday Carrie. to pack the house and five kids oh and all of that stuff God. and find a house and, and do everything. somewhere. Yeah. And in the end, she went bawling Ten tears down to the nuns at, who looked after the school because all the bigger kids were at, at the good Catholic school down the road, and the nuns were like, Sister Jacqueline actually said one of the boys in Mark's class, his dad, you know, my elder brother, his dad was a real estate agent, and we were moving into this house with the plaster falling off the walls, um, and as these Two like we were later. moving out of this house and this woman was moving in, it was just yeah, it was a bit nuts. I remember we lost the cat. That was that was my big thing. But we lost the cat. <laughs> Poor cat. Um, but then, yeah, around the same time, though, my mother, because she was in this deserted wives' pension space and Gough Whitlam had made these significant changes, she got a letter from the government saying, go and take an aptitude test. And if you're smart enough, we're going to send you to university and – and she went and did the aptitude test and my father had told her all her life that, you know, well, all her married life that she was a bit stupid. 
and could only yeah. you know, work in a factory, whatever. And uh, she did an aptitude test and the government told her that she was smart enough to go to university and that if she wanted to, that they would help her go back to university. So that's what she did when I started school. She actually went back wow. to high school and completed her HSC and then she went on to university, well, uh, teachers college to become a teacher and that's where I get a big part of my inspiration for the ability to be able to regardless of what your background and circumstances are yes to be able to pick yourself up and educate yourself right and it's a big part of where my big thing is I like to work with people at that sort of intersection between the self-awareness and the education because doesn't matter what your circumstances are, what your background is, you can educate yourself into a different reality. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Oh my God. So um, let's just wind forward now to high school. Mum's obviously going through high school or uni at that stage for you as well. Um, What what were you like as a student? Yeah, she did Had that she? through primary school and um, we moved a lot. So I went to three primary schools and then I went to four high schools in four years. And uh, yep. I used to think that my holes what in was, my what, education. Can I just ask why yeah. first were you moving around so much? Was that just different jobs for her or? Um, it seemed No, it seemed like. The middle move, so when I was about seven, we sort of moved across the other side of Melbourne. I think she got a bit, she was looking for something that was a better house than the one that we'd just fallen into with the plaster falling off the walls. Um, yeah, and I think that she, makes sense. she wanted to move across town and sort of, I think she felt the need to get a little bit of independence um, and there was an opportunity. We moved from this little three-bedroom house in Heidelberg down to a five-bedroom house in uh, Parkdale, so down near the beach. Right. And I think she it, there was an opportunity there and yeah, she was working up. by that stage, yeah? Yeah. And then um, and then I think then she got another job uh, when I was in, it was probably in year four, and um, she was commuting across town and then she decided it was too far. So we kind of moved right. back over that side of town again. So we kind of, you know, went away from the family and then sort of came back. And then uh, in when I was six weeks into year seven, she, uh, a friend of hers had decided they were moving to New South Wales and asked her if she wanted to go. And my older brother was getting into a bit of trouble, so she decided maybe that was a good idea. And so then we moved to New South Wales. Um, and that was that might have been good for him. It wasn't good for me. <laughs> no, um, no, and no. I, I think I blamed a lot of my... Uh, I want to say challenges. I, I probably had a few social challenges growing up. I'm a little bit of a, 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 a different outgoing kind of personality, um, you know, in all fairness. Can I, I just have... say you're fabulous, actually? <laughs> <laughs> I think but you're I, awesome. Don't. <laughs> but what I understand now is is that, uh, you know, I, I definitely have some ADHD and the whole family have uh, have ADHD really as well. And that that kind of sense of being a little bit different, a little bit too talkative, a little bit kind of, you know, not really the same as everybody else, um, you know, had, had its impact, I think on my, on my learning and stuff. But 
I think the other thing yeah, around as a that te- is as a team, you don't want to be different. No, yeah. well, no. Um, you try not to be different. No. And yet, do you know what's hilarious, Jules? I went back to that. The main high school is the one that I considered my main one is is the middle one. That's the one where I spent the most time, which was in this little country town in the right. Hunter Valley. I went back to my 25 year school reunion and it just cracked me up because I sat there with this group of women who were all sitting there telling stories about the things that I'd made them do when they were in their teens. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't remember half of this, but they were all stories of me pushing them to do something that they didn't think that they could do. Yeah. But because I pushed them and encouraged them and, and got them to a point where they did it, then they learnt something about themselves and they improved their lives in a way that they never would have if I hadn't pushed them. And that was where I sat there and I went, oh, my goodness, who knew I'd been doing this all my life? (laughs) (laughs) All right, now let's take you, let's talk career. So uh, what did you do when you finished high school? Did you go to uni? No, I left school and halfway through year 11 because I got a hairdressing apprenticeship, right? Ah, okay. Okay. I got given and this for anyone watching. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, that's right. You, you know, both of us have pink hair, uh, yes. different tones, but that's I true. guess hairdressing makes enormous sense to you. I probably would have liked to have been a hairdresser as well. Yeah, but anyway, so you, so you, you leave. Know. Yeah, so I leave and money uh, halfway through. Yeah, and halfway through year eleven, and and I was living in a country town. I didn't know what else I was kind of going to do. I'd thought about joining the navy, but then the navy guy came and said to me, "Oh no, we don't let women on ships." In those days, they didn't. And he's like, you can get a nice desk job in Canberra. And I'm like, oh, who would want a nice desk job in Canberra? Lo and behold, you know, 20 years later, I'm living in Canberra with a nice desk job. Anyway, whatever. That's another story. (laughs) But so I got offered a hairdressing apprenticeship. Little did I know that this guy used to just take on apprentices for the three-year, do the basin, sort of wash hair stuff. And then when he had to indenture you, he'd get rid of you. By the time he got rid of me and sort of moved on to the next, you know, um, basin person, Um, I was too old. I was 17 and I couldn't get another apprenticeship in this little country town. And so Uh. I ended up doing a what they called at the time an Australian traineeship where I I got my secretarial certificate. (laughs) Oh, good on you. So you're a good typist. Yeah. Yeah. And did – but – I learned at that time, I think that was where I started really recognising the value of education. So, but education for the things that I was interested in. And and I'd learned, you know, that um, at that time, oh, well, maybe shorthand was a good thing to learn because you could get good money if you knew how to do shorthand. That's what they told us at at, school in those days. Exactly. So that's when (laughs) I was doing some study during the day. I was going to TAFE and then I took on night school and I, And you know what I realised up until the last 10 years, I had consistently done some type of night school training, extracurricular kind of learning to try and improve my opportunities. And so even though I was doing TAFE during the day with my uh, traineeship, I also went back and started learning um, shorthand at night school. And then an opportunity came along for me to volunteer for an organisation to go overseas. And so I ended up at 18. Well, yeah, I was 18 and I went to London. Oh, how exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where my love of travel came from. So I was still doing that kind of admin sort of stuff. And then, but I got, I wasn't very good actually at, at managing like 
situations that were outside of my control and and I think my stomach really used to take the brunt of my anxiety in certain situations and so I ended up at a, as an 18 year old living in London with stomach ulcers <laughs> oh my god Carrie and I know I didn't I even know you could to... get them at that age <laughs> I know who would have thunk it but uh yep no. so uh, I was supposed to go for like two years and and I lasted like nine months and I came back and mum had moved back to Melbourne at that point because she'd been living in country New South Wales and she'd gone back to Melbourne. So I ended up back in Melbourne and I, um, there I was 19 and I'd had lots of work experience and stuff like, and I'd lived overseas and, and because of my age, they just wanted me to get a junior typist job in Melbourne. And I'm like, Oh, no way. Like I'd, I'd run an office. I'd run two offices with, you know, small business people. So I ended up getting a job at the bank and what was really quite interesting is that I was very I can't imagine in, you in a bank. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what was really funny though, Jules? I they recognized was, me as a high flyer. So about nine months into yeah. my working life in the bank, they sent me off on this high flyers course. I was the youngest person on the course. And I'm sitting yeah. there and just being me and talking, you know, as I do out loud about things. Uh the bank's head economist gave a presentation and then he came to me afterwards and he said, where did you do your VCE economics? And I said, I, I didn't. I didn't even finish high school. And he goes, you have a natural head for economics. You go back to university and you do economics. I will personally sign off on your study application. And I was like, oh, my oh. goodness. Right. Wow. And so yeah. here I was thinking, I'm like, oh, well, well there, there you go. Somebody else thinks I'm good at something. And, and this is one of the things I say to people. Other people might give you guidance in your life, but you don't have to do exactly what everybody else says that you should do. You want no. to think about what they perceive about you and then, you know, work out if that aligns with your own path. But I took him on face value. I tried to go to university at that point, but I was not quite 20. I had to wait until I was 21 to get in as a mature student. So I had a year to, you know, cool my heels. And she said to me, if you go and do VCE economics, then you've got more of a chance to show that you can do it. So, of course, that's what I did. And this is where I say about my journey around (laughs) night school. I went back to night school and I did VCE economics for a year and I pulled off a 95. Now, who would have thought? Right? And that well, was, you had I a think, natural ability. Well, <laughs> according to him, I did. What turned out was funny was um, I, and I never work out which way it goes, but I liked macro and not micro. I'm a big picture thinker. I don't like yep, detail, yep. minor, like I just. I, it's so the ADHD I love one thing. Part of it. <laughs> yes, it is. I love one part of it, couldn't deal with the other. So anyway, I pulled it off. I got into university. Um and the next year I sort of started university and I was going night school kind of stuff. But my husband, I got married at 21. Um, oh, my was, goodness. Yeah, Where did you meet him in, in England? Uh, no, I met him when I got back from – I met him when I was working at the bank, so in Melbourne. Right. And, uh, yeah, we, we'd we only been together like 15 months. I got married at 21. I don't recommend why, it. Why Any did 21 you – 21-year-olds listening, I was gonna don't say, do that. <laughs> No, but why did you get married? What was it for some security at that stage? Or were you just madly in love? Or I just wonder whether any of the what had gone on with your mum was. 
No, it was just no. it was it was a bit of the madly in love thing, and also too because I think this is the stupidity of youth. Um, you know, when he <laughs> we were having problems, and then when we were having problems, he fixed it by asking me to marry him. Yes, and that as you do, and then everything's all okay, oh, gorgeous. Yes, and then um, and then of course it didn't. You know, my in my mind, the reality sets in. <laughs> well, it only took us. Well, we got engaged in November. We got married in the April. I broke out in hives wow. the week before my wedding. I was so covered in spots. It was crazy. <laughs> I should have known and that I should have done something about it then. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I've got two beautiful daughters out of that marriage that I wouldn't have otherwise. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, married at 21. And so and he'd had a motorbike accident just early on in my uh, university studies. And I ended up, it was really too hard for me to kind of be, he was in intensive care and then in the hospital for three months. And so I had to go to the hospital at night and it just ended up being too much. So I deferred and uh, anyway, then went back a bit later, but you know, then I was pregnant. And so I decided over all that time, ah, I didn't think economics was really my thing. I'd left the bank. I'd had a baby. Um, I spent a bit of time going, what do I really enjoy doing? If I, you know, I wanted to study, but I really wanted to do, you know, something that was of interest to me. And I remembered my school counsellor, because surprise, surprise, with all of the moves and my ADHD that was undiagnosed, I had spent a bit of time in the school counsellor's office um, and I, I quite <laughs> liked my school counsellor and I decided that I quite liked, um, you know, the idea that I could help other people and so I decided I wanted uh, to be a school right. counsellor. So okay. at that point, they changed the rules. You used to go and be a teacher and then do your school counselling training. And and then I went, oh, I'll do that. And uh, then it was like, no, now you study psychology. So I decided to change the focus of what I was doing and uh, applied to become like to do university as a in psychology instead. And uh, so I started that. It took a couple of years to get all that sort of stuff organised. So I started studying in 97 um, and studying psychology and getting to the point where I was finished and could actually work in the field. Uh, It took me 13 years to finish my studies, which most degrees supposed to take 10. I took 13. (laughs) And um, You could have been a a specialist doctor in that time. I know, I know. But in all fairness, over that, over my education career, I also went from, you know, not working and staying at home with young children. My my marriage broke up when my youngest was 12 months old. Um, I then, you know, I would work part time and then I came to Canberra in uh, 2000 and the early, beginning of 2001 and uh, that's right. because I'd started working for government when my youngest was uh, in kindergarten. And uh, I figured if I came to Canberra, I could live in the one spot. And because it was very important because of my own education kind of up and down stuff, I wanted to make sure my girls stay, never so. moved, right? And so I wanted them to go to be in a place where they could be settled in their school stuff. But I knew I got bored. And so I needed to be able to change my job around. And so if I was going to stay for government, you know, because I wanted security around the family because I was a sole parent, then I wanted to be in a place where I could do that. So Canberra made sense because I could geographically settle them. 
you know, at that point it was 20 minutes from one end to the other of Canberra. So, and that's yeah, how right. I ended up years later with this nice little desk job in Canberra, which, you know, to my youth, <laughs> that was like, who would have thought? Why would you want to do that? The worst and yet here thing. I was, you know, 20 years later kind of going, oh, what a great place to be, you know. Um, I was probably only about 15 years no, later. No, but it's but- interesting that you wanted – that stability for your girls as well, because I grew up, I think I went to about 12 schools before um, I finished and I've done exactly the same as you and plonked myself somewhere and gone, you know what? I never had, uh, when we moved to Australia, when I was 11, you would meet people who say, I went to school with that person. I went to primary school and I've, I've never had that because I never stayed anywhere long enough to know those people long enough. So it's, it's lovely. And my, and my boys are now in about to do year 12 and they've got friends that, you know, they did great prep with. Yeah. Which is one of those things. I think it is when you have these experiences that make your own stability sort of quite volatile that you go, I don't want to do that to my children. And I think it it took a while. But interestingly, sorry, I was just going to go, interestingly, you don't want to do it to your kids, but look at you, you travel all the time and I crave travel as well. So it, it makes us want to do that for our kids, but it's done something for us that's really positive as well. Well, I do think that that's an interesting part of it because I find it fascinating I am, I think my whole, I mean, this is about, I know I I like to have novel experiences and do different things. I love travel because I'm exposed to lots of different sorts of environments. And for me right now, it is my absolute priority. But you know what? My girls aren't that interested in travel, which to my mind kind of goes, (laughs) what the hell? Why wouldn't you want? I know. I've got one who's sort of like, oh, well, mum, if you end up in France, I'll come and visit. I might spend some time there. But they don't have the drive for it. And I do wonder, Jules, whether it's something to do with uh, our upbringing because, you know, in the the Gen X world that we're in, um, there was a lot of, in the 80s, there was a lot of, you know, you girls can do whatever you want. You can have the family, you can have the career, you can have it all. You can, you can travel. And I think we grew up in an era too, where travel became um, something that. Very accessible. Yeah. Much more accessible than it was for, for our parents. And, um, and I also think though, that it takes a particular type of person to, um, enjoy the experience of those different kind of environments. And that's been one of the things for me always. And the thing that really drives me now, um, you know, the thing that nearly killed me over COVID uh, was the inability to be able to go and have novel experiences and do other things. Uh, That's why I renovated the house because I couldn't cope (laughs) with no change. I love change, (laughs) right? Yes, so do I. I need change, you know. and Yep, gotcha. Recognizing yourself in that, I think, is really important. Um, and I think getting comfortable with the things that we know drive us. Um, that's, it, I think, getting, it took years for me to be comfortable enough within myself and lots of experiences. I mean, um, I often say the reason I do well, what I do, I had an idea at 19 that I wanted to be like Australia's version of Oprah. I wanted to do television and interview people and help them get their lives on track. And the reason I went back, part of the focus of psychology was also because I met with a TV producer who said to me at the time, Kerry, I think you've got the charisma, but where's your credibility? And I remember thinking, <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I, I was cut, but that was part of the reason why I started to focus back on, well, what could I do to get some credibility? And the psychology idea kind of really started to come to fruition. And then I spent 20 odd years trying to prove myself as having this credibility. And yet here I am now about to walk away from, from you know, the industry that I was trying to get to prove my credibility. And I don't honestly think, I mean, yes, I've had lots of experiences and built up on that knowledge but I'm still that same person, right? That I still feel like I still could have done this 20 years ago. And I think that's interesting. Yes, you could. But look, there's kids and things as well that stop you and and certainly, you know, stop me. But, um, but you know, you're, you're doing it again now. And I, I I just think it's great, but you know what we've keep up, we've jumped around a bit. I want to go back to, the desk job in Canberra and how you've ended up as Ms. Pink. And, and by the way, just I'll just and I'm just going to interrupt and say first, I reckon you and I should become the Oprahs together and, and pitch a show with two pink ladies. Yes, yes, I I think that's right. Let's you do know, it. I, yeah, yeah, I reckon I, we can I do think, it. Yeah, because um, you know, I I think the whole pink focus of things like so when I go back. Um, before I moved to Canberra, I, I got hit by a bus as a pedestrian when I was 28, and that's where I had my, oh my big goodness. epiphany, right? I, I was a year into my university degree and what I'd gone to Sydney with a friend on the train um, and she was, you know, she was not in a well space at that point in time. She had an injury as a nurse and hurt her back or whatever. We went to see Elton John and Billy Joel in concert and uh, long story short, <laughs> yeah, long story short, on the way after the concert and we were really elated, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened, but um, we were at, in danger of being left on the side of, you know, Anzac Park and not, I mean, being a bit scared, not familiar with the area in the middle of the night. And uh, I, I panicked and I ended up running across what I thought was a one-way bus lane and it turned out that it was not a one-way bus lane at all and I ran straight oh into the path God, of an oncoming Karen. bus. Yeah, but interestingly, because of my husband's motorbike accident years earlier where I'd seen lots of head injuries, I knew if I fell and hit my head I was in big trouble and I managed to pirouette like a ballerina sort of across the front of the bus, down the side of the bus. How I stayed on my feet is a miracle. Um but that really kind of threw me. That was where my mental health really started to um, unravel and all of the stuff yep. from my early childhood. I had to deal with all of it. I say to people, it's like we carry our negative experiences in a locked toy box that we carry around in our gut somewhere. And and the bus really kind of smashed my toy box to smithereens and everything was all over the road. And I had to kind of try and gather it up and, and you know, put it back together. That's when Makes I discovered – yeah, and that's when I discovered trauma therapy, obviously. And um, so I was a year into my degree. I had to take a year off, but I, I then through that process and, you know, I spent three months fighting antidepressants. Then I went on antidepressants and, you know, could not believe, like, at least they made me functional. Um You know, yeah. couldn't believe how detached from my body I was. <laughs> you know, I've written about this in other places, but turning up to pick my daughter up from preschool and looking down and realizing I had two different shoes on, like, but I could not feel them. It was weird. Right. I couldn't feel them. And they weren't just different shoes. They were, I had one Birkenstock and one like clog and they even had different heel heights and one was black and one was brown. Oh and I had goodness. no, 
like no awareness. And I remember looking at them thinking this was weird, but I couldn't feel it. And so some of those experiences were really, you know, they really framed the way that I then approached my life as a therapist, because I think I normalized the fact that, you know, different things happen in our lives that causes some, you know, challenges. But I spent a lot of time in therapy sort of working through it. And then, you know, going back to the years later, then ending up with the kids back in Canberra where, you know, arguably I'd managed to resolve a lot of stuff. I was working full time. I was still studying part time. And, you know, I I came to Canberra and within two years, I doubled my income. I actually got promoted and promoted and promoted, you know, quite wow, quickly. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was a very, um, it, it was definitely a good move. But I think that's because you've always just been one of those people who's able to get on and do the job and um, yep. and very sort of strategic in my thinking and um, but felt it was a good thing to do for my girls to keep them settled. And this is the most stable I've been in my whole life, right? Um, but I'm about right. to shake it up. <laughs> well, just tell everyone here. very quickly what, what your shaking up is and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, – some of the women that might have helped you along the way, if there have been any, and some other questions. But tell me a little bit about where you're off to now and what the plan is moving forward because you have sold the house. Have you sold the house or are you no, renting No, no, I haven't sold the house. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Airbnb it and see how that <laughs> Giving goes yourself for a the backup. first three months. Yeah, so I'm about to take right. off and go to the States and South America and I'm, I'm off because I'm up for an award as the Maverick of the Year um, and I'm off Woo-hoo. to the Stevie Women in Business Awards in Las Vegas to uh, accept my my prize, whichever one that ends up being. Yes. Um, as a finalist, I'm guaranteed to get at least, you know, bronze or, or a silver or gold, so that's good. And then um, I'm going to catch up with a few people in the States I've got with all my travels, I've made lots of friends all around the world. I could pretty well couch surf my way around the world, I've decided. Um, but I'm going to spend some time in nice. South America because as a trauma specialist, I'm very interested in the use of psychedelics and uh, especially in my case, interested in plant-based medicines like ayahuasca and psilocybin for, you know, processing uh our traumatic experiences so then you can go go on a trip without leaving the place (laughs) yeah exactly um but i'm a big believer in fascinating ask people to do things that you wouldn't do yourself so i'm going to try and experience it for myself and also see you know if this is an area that i want to kind of continue to support people to resolve their stuff you know by working with these plant-based medicines in addition to you know the kind of trauma intensive trauma therapy that I've done in the past. Um, but I really want to try and train others. One of my friends in the States has just been in Brazil working with an organization who rescues kids from sex trafficking. And so I'm volunteering to go and, you know, train their staff in how to, you know, process trauma with those kids when they first come in. Oh, so how amazing. Yeah, really positive yeah. kind of, I really want to try and get some positivity out of it. Um, but having said all of that, I really need a rest. I think one of the things that happened with health practitioners in Australia over COVID is that there's been so much pressure on us and, um, you know, not not well supported really either. No, and, and it's relentless. Yeah. There's no, there's yeah, no end is. to it, yeah. No. And yeah. I just sort of think that it's the awareness of recognising that there isn't, um, that there just isn't enough and we – and. 
and my big thing, so the award in, in the States is as Maverick of the Year and I, I'm a Maverick of mental health. I'm a disruptor. I want to look at doing things differently and I'm if I stay in the same system in the rigid kind of, you know, chaos of the, the over and over same system nothing changes and we yep. we really do no. have to put a, a stick in the spoke so to speak and uh, try and look at how we make it better for everybody the pandemic helped us to understand that mental health is something that we all experience and have challenges with and we need to give people m- much more empowered ways to manage themselves and access to a lot more uh, information about the things that work and that's part of the reason yep. why I want to sort of look at some of the psychedelic stuff and I'm also a big believer that Mother Earth is a is a great provider and so that's why my focus is also on plant-based medicine I'm, I'm yep. really interested to see how that might you know change the way that we approach things going forward. Wow, it just sounds like an amazing trip and whatever way, you're still going after the education and the learning and also the sort of different experiences, but I do hope you get lots and lots of lie-ins as well. Okay, now along the way in your career, and I I have no idea what your answer to this will be, but um, have there been, but just because she's the boss about women and I like to talk about, you know, shining a light on them, have there been any women that stand out to you that have really helped you in your career? Um, it's interesting because at different points in time, I think there have been other older women who I've certainly looked up to when I, you know, early on in, um, going right back to, you know, the bank stuff. Um, actually even before that, when I went to London, there was a woman who I worked with who was more like a mother figure to me and, and, you know, her name was Carol. And I think I, I managed a lot of stuff because she was supportive of me, you know, as a, as a person. And she sort of filled in that bit of a role. And I think that it's a recognition that sometimes you might have sort of older people who give you more of a mentoring role, but then you'll have you know other people who might operate a bit more like the older sister or something like that. And then, you know, as we progress through our kind of career, we then become, you know, the, the I was going to say it flips who, over. Yeah, yeah, the people who provide that sort of support to others. And I think um, certainly, you know, in my early career, I'm, I went, I sought out senior women to kind of have a more formal mentoring relationship with, oh, yeah. and that worked well. Um, you know, another woman, her name was Peter, I, I remember asking her specifically, and she was quite a senior person. Um, and she seemed really chuffed that I'd asked her at the time. This was before there was ever formal kind of arrangements in place. But, on yeah. the, you know, then as I got older, I think a lot of the stuff, you know, I had another when I first came out as an um, intern in the psychology space, my supervisor was, you know, a senior female and somebody who I still, you know, have a connection with. And then I reached a point where I started mentoring younger women and trying to bring them into, into the space. And I still see even my work with, with women. um, And that's been one of the big things, women in business. So I've, I've found myself working around things like, you know, women in heels or like business in heels and those sorts of things where yep. some groups you go to and, and 
you're the person who's providing more mentoring support because these are younger women who are just starting out in business. Or then we end up with groups like She's the Boss where we have, you know, a group of older women who've been around and done some other things. You know, I know we do have younger members in there too, but um, yeah, it's it's more the but people more who are the female support. founders and, yeah, much more peer yes. support. And, and I think it's important to recognise that, we we have we owe it to ourselves to seek those networks out over our careers um because you know it's, it's, it's really put. easy to try and tap into some and then just go oh that doesn't kind of work for me and then just think that there's nothing else but give up trying to kind of continue yeah. to to connect and i think when you connect with like-minded people i mean come off it Jules you and i couldn't have been anything other than mates we have pink hair so but <laughs> maintaining that connection right you know, because yeah. it's something that we have to we have to put effort into, and we all have to put some effort into. We're all busy, but you know, it's also yep. a useful thing. But, to, but the rewards are worth it, I think. Yeah, but it, like you say, you've got to you've got to find your tribe. You've got to find the right people that are giving you what it is that you need, yeah. and then you it, it kind of all clicks into place. Okay, um, now. You're a psychologist. We've talked about burnout a lot within She's the Boss and you know there are hundreds and hundreds of successful women that have literally worked themselves into the ground at various times and given themselves all sorts of illnesses. Um, How are you managing that juggle? Do you have weekends and nights, you know, a sacrosanct and you don't work or how do you manage that juggle so that you don't work yourself into the ground? So, or is that the travel? Traditionally, well, <laughs> traditionally, what I've what I've always done is, um, you know, I would say pre-pandemic, I'm a tra- like I'm a trauma specialist, right? So you can you know that there's stuff that I'm carrying. I would spend time in nature. That's one of the ways that I kind of get some of the energy off me. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's also true to recognise that in my past, I think I've had a certain number of times where, you know, it was very easy to have a wine rather than going for, for a walk um, and recognising that that was just because I didn't want to think about the stuff that I'd heard during the day. And, and that was also one of those things where I think recognising that it was having that impact and wanting to change it. Um, so spending more time, you know, just reconnecting. I used to always take at least – one weekend a month and go away because being somewhere oh, different was important model. to me. Um, I would yep. go up to the – years ago I, there was an ashram and unfortunately it's since closed down, but I used to go to the ashram uh, one weekend uh, a month if I could, at least every six weeks because – the mobile phone stopped working at the road on the way into the ashram. And, you know, you'd be up at 5.30 doing a yoga class, which I used to think I couldn't possibly do before I was there and doing it. But because you don't have any, no TV, no no outside world connection, and you're going to bed, you know, at sort of 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'm reading a book because it's dark and there's nothing else to do. Um you would be able to reset your kind of circadian rhythm too. And, and um, that used to always give me really yeah, nice. good kind of like a cleansing kind of time is the way I would describe it. Yeah. And, yeah. and give me some energy in, I think it's really important to recognize, you know, how we replenish our energy. Um, and I, I mean, I'm an extrovert and being around other people is important but I'm also recognizing too. So this is how I know how burnt out I am at this point in time is because I've actually withdrawn from lots of stuff. 
So I'm aware yeah. and and I'm <laughs> conscious of the fact that that's what's happened. And so then I'm making plans to change it. But we've got to be, so we, we need to be self-aware enough to recognise when these things are the are flags or, you know, warning sort of systems to let us know things aren't going right and then be able to make plans for, you know, well, how do we change that? Um, and I, yeah. I think probably one of the nicest things in terms of finishing up with my clients, even the ones that I've been, I would normally be really worried about, is getting the feedback that sort of says, but even in, in making the decision to walk away right now is I am demonstrating the fact that I walk the walk. I don't just talk the talk. And Yeah, you're you know, a role, <clears throat> true role yeah. model. Yeah, which, which yep. you know, it's which show, was surprising people but kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really important element to it. Um, and I think, you know, that makes me laugh, but it goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, going to my school reunion and people sort of saying the things that I did. Um, it, it's the, the recognition that despite the fact that I think I can be a bit erratic, I'm actually quite consistent <laughs> over time. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Just that external kind of that view. All right. Um, pretty much the last question. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing and you have been very generous with your sharing? So I don't know if there's anything left, <laughs> but it can be anything. Even- it doesn't have to be about. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, you know, the, the quirky fact, um, oh, I think I have so many quirks. It's just kind of not funny. Well, just tell um, me one then. Tell me one. Uh, you know what, oh, I'm putting you this on the is spot. one of the Sorry. things that, that putting me on, yeah, putting me on the spot, my brain's yeah, no, kind of going, it. one quirky fact, no. like, you know, there's, there's probably <laughs> 20 hundred. The one thing though, and I, I probably go back to the ending of, of my marriage, and this is one of the things that I say to people, you know, I worked out a long time ago, I consulted with a Jotish. Um, so, you know, probably people will be surprised. Maybe that's my quirky fact. People will What's be surprised. What's a Jotish? I've never heard of a it. A Jotish is a Vedic astrologer. So think about, you okay. know, Indian, Indian-based Indian stuff. You would have yep. heard of Ayurvedic medicine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a Vedic astrologer is, is an Indian-based astrologer. It's slightly different to what we traditionally understand in astrology. The thing I like about it, and, you know, people are surprised to find that I, I might speak to, you know, I don't know, a psychic or whatever. You know, I'm supposed to be a very serious, you know, scientific kind of. But I'm a big believer that there's a lot of stuff that happens in that energy space um, that we don't necessarily understand, but we don't tap into either in terms of, you know, if we stay in our just directly scientific humanness. And yet yep. quantum physics is actually part of that scientific world. So when we recognize that energy field that operates outside of us, we can pick up on things. And <laughs> this goes back to, you know, emotions and, you know, all sorts of feelings that we get when we're, we're around certain people. And trusting our intuition is one of the things that I talk about. But going back to the Jyoti, she said that every person has a particular seven-year period in their life based on, you know, whenever they're born and whatever the karmic alignment is, in in which is their major karmic learning for that life. And uh, when I was consulting with her, which was probably five years or so back, and she told me that, you know, she pointed out these year periods, seven years, and she said, do you know what your major karmic learning was and she gave me the year period and that was the ending of my marriage and you know we had 
separations and and re you know connections for a good six year period um and my major karmic learning was that you cannot change another human being and you should not want to and i think that was the bit that was a real um surprise for me that recognition Lastly, if anyone wants to get hold of you, wants to read your books, wants to talk to you about psychology or anything, what is the best way for them to get hold of you without giving away phone numbers, please? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. So the best way is to go, the, the website is Um, and that's Anne without an E, by the way, Anna Kerry with a Y. Right. Um, but so through the website, uh, through the social media channels, uh, LinkedIn is um, at Your Chief home. Mental Health Advisor and a few other <laughs> things. You'll give them links. And, you know, it's only the next couple of months that I'm spending just trying to kind of regroup, um, try and work out the where to from here. There's been a, a, a lot of water under the bridge, I think, and um just sort of opening myself up to what the universe has in store for me next. I think that's a really, um, that's a really important well, kind of opportunity, I think, to, to be able to take that time and work it out. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait to see what you get up to next. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jules. I really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.